0: 100. That's right. 100 episodes of Wine and Dime. Welcome, everyone. We are thrilled that you have turned in for our 100 episode. I can't tell you when I started this particular podcast that I thought we'd make it past episode 10. So I'm thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to be releasing this episode today and have shared so many stories and so many dreams, this little idea that I had to take the pretentiousness out of both wine and finance, because as you know, both are my passion and here we are. Listeners keep growing, questions keep coming in, topics keep coming up, new listeners keep asking for different episodes and new people keep saying yes to my ask. If you are one of those people that have a story to share a journey that others can learn from, please, please contact me. If you are a listener that has learned something over the past two and a half years by tuning in faithfully, we want to hear from you. We're thrilled that you keep tuning in week after week after week. We are celebrating today. We are celebrating the 100th episode of Wine and Done. Grab your favorite beverage. Mine happens to be today a Cuca Red Blend. and enjoy the time together. Thank you so much for listening. And if you like this podcast, please be sure to rate us and to send us notes and to ask us questions. Again, thank you so much. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palates that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dine. I am very thrilled as usual to talk to our next guest who jams out a little bit about being a financial planner as well. We talk about what it's like to raise some children and the financial goals that she's trying to teach them and around money. We talk about what it's like to work in a male-dominated field. And then to round it out, we talk about what it's like to realize our successes and how hard it is sometimes. I think you're going to love this show. So sit on back, grab your favorite beverage and enjoy. Well, Lauren Zangardi-Haynes, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being on today. Thank you for having me, Amy. I always love to have another woman financial planner on the show. We always have so much in common uh, when we get chatting about different things. And I love it when they also have a passion for wine as well. So before we get into your... Personal life vineyard. I'd love to know. Do you have a favorite wine? I do.
1: I actually really enjoy wines from the boot of Italy, which is actually randomly where my grandmother is from. Um, her family is from so Puglia, way down in the southern Italy. And there's some really rich reds like Nero d'Avola and Nero Grande, um, which are which I really enjoy. So those are my favorites.
0: Now I've not had that. So I'm gonna to have to do some investigation.
1: Yes, they they're so good. I get my honestly my favorite comes from Trader Joe's. So I don't know if you have I don't know if you have Trader Joe's near you or or if you live in a state that allows grocery stores to sell wine, um, but they have uh, some great ones from the. I think the brand is Epicuro.
0: Okay. Okay. I, um, we, in the winter, we live in, uh, Parrish, Florida. And so all of the public stores carry wine, okay. you know, and mm-hmm. then if I can't find it there, we've got a total wine. So I can oh, there usually go. find it there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So I've got it. I've got two today. I've done two recordings today and I've got two that I haven't tried. So I'm excited to go this weekend shopping. know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <enough> what think. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate that. So there's a tip. Uh, I, there are wines that I have not had. <laughs> so digging into your own personal story, um, I know I was out on your website poking around and you've you've been uh, in the financial services profession for about what, 14, 15 years but, at this point in time. That's right. Yes. And, um, you know, I'd love to know your journey, even as a mm-hmm. kid, you know, how did you get interested in finance? And I'm particularly interested in how you're Vineyard was formed because there's so few of us women in the profession. So I'd love to know your story, share your story. Sure. Um, I
1: would say that my dad is the one who really spent a lot of time talking about finances and investing when I was a child he was involved with a, uh, setting up the 401k plan at his firm from the on the union side and explaining that to everybody and what the 401k plan meant and how you could save and invest in it. And that was what kicked off his career in financial services. He works on the institutional side. But having him in my life, we'd always talk about, you know, we, we had to listen to NPR. And it, as a child, it drove me nuts. <laughs> but now I force NPR on my children all the time as well. So um, so he, you know, would say, Oh, you need to go into finance, you need to go into finance. And I in college, of course, did not pursue finance, I was a political science major. And uh, I think it was the February of my senior year, I realized I'd made a terrible mistake. I should have listened to my dad and majored in finance. Um, so <laughs> after college and graduating with a political science degree, I my parents connected me with a woman who was the director of trusts um, at a large bank here in Richmond, and or I should say a regional bank. And she was the one who helped explain to me some of the different career paths within the financial services industry, you know, did I want to be a Mm -hmm. trust officer? Did I want to, you know, be very focused on investments or did I want to, you know, have a, become, you know, she explained like the CFA, the CTFA and the CFP or getting an MBA. Mm -hmm. And so the CFP Mm -hmm. appealed to me. And fortunately at the time VCU actually had a certificate program that involved an in-person class over about 18 months. And so I immediately enrolled in that started the fall after I, you know, after I graduated from undergrad, started taking courses to become a certified financial planner and really haven't looked back. You know, I started working at a bank and, um, used my CFP education nice. to kind of move into a couple of different jobs and spent a lot of time as a portfolio analyst at the private bank. Which, and I really enjoyed that quite a bit. But I wanted to do more holistic financial planning. You know, where I was, I was very focused on investment, investments and mm-hmm. felt that I could bring a tremendous amount of value to people with a broader approach to financial planning. And um, reconnected with one of my classmates from the CFP program I went to work before them for about five years. And that was great experiences, you know, exactly what I wanted. They were doing what I would call real financial planning. You know, it's not just investment management, um, looking at everything. And Mm -hmm. through that process, I started to think about the possibilities of owning my own business, which I had toyed with briefly when I uh, was thinking of leaving my job as a portfolio analyst, but decided against because I had two you know, two children under the age of three. And that just seems like a little bit too much for me at the time. And as my kids got older and as I kind of thought about more and more, I really wasn't able to let go of the idea of having my own business. And so that's why I ended up launching Spark Financial Advisors in uh, June of
0: 2018. There's a lot packed in there. (laughs) (laughs) So you said at the time you didn't think about starting your own business because you had two kids and it seemed a little overwhelming. You now have three, correct? That's right. So yes. somewhere in the middle there, a third one came along. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and you still started your own business. <laughs> I did, yeah. Well, you
1: know, it became one of those things where, it's, you know, if you if you can't let go of something, then maybe you should just go do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had an offer to to buy in at the firm that I was at, but I just couldn't let go the idea of, you know, the what if, like what if I had my own firm and what would that be like? So I figured that I need to just give it a shot and see how it goes.
0: And I think one of the things that I talk to a lot of people about that are thinking about doing what you're doing, and it's not always, it's not necessarily with regards to financial services. We work with a lot of Attorneys, and many of them are working for large firms, but thinking about maybe you know, spinning off on their own. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the fears that they have is, you know, is it is it just more than I can bite off? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's the stability of having a salary when working for another firm versus the flexibility that you have um, and the and the what I would say is creative mm-hmm. control. When you go out off, off your own, now can you talk a little bit about some of the fears that you had, and I, and I call them you know um, psychological mm. fears because in reality they may have not come to fruition right. at all. But can you talk about some of those fears that you had, uh, maybe how you overcame some of those, and what what did or or you know didn't come true when you were planning at, you know to to go out on your own. Sure. No, that I, I can
1: completely understand that. I I would think, I would say that the main fear I had was that I really love financial planning. So I, I love the work. I think about it. I read about it, um, and I was you're worried, right about it. I right about it. <laughs> I I was worried I wouldn't like running a business, and that mm. I was taking. I was going to be taking on a lot of stress for something that what if I didn't enjoy it? Do you know what I mean? Would I be better off
0: Mm -hmm. being
1: Mm -hmm. an employee and, um, you know, having, not having that stress, having a high income and, and, you know, kind of leading a good life. I, one thing that I did to prepare was I did spend a, a lot of time thinking about what did I want my business to actually look like, uh, thought about the technology. I thought about, um, I ran income projections and I, um, we had two other important things going for us. One, our personal financial situation was in a strong place. And two, I have a supportive spouse. And so kind of running, doing a lot of prep work on my own um, before I launched the business and then having a supportive spouse and you know, the cash on the side to help give us that runway has made a a big difference for us. Mm
0: -hmm. That planning piece, that pro planning piece, what I find that a lot of people forget about is that the business might sustain itself fairly quickly, Mm -hmm. but it's the personal expenses that you have to make sure that you are planning for. And I know when we started our own business, we went through, you know, a fair amount of our planned savings for that particular mm-hmm. event because the business pretty much started taking care of itself within about six months mm-hmm. but those living expenses still continued to <laughs> pesky little things <laughs> and we didn't have two three kids right. at the time so i can't imagine what yeah. um what that must look like so you started your you started your own business you said 2000 and uh, 2018 eight, mm-hmm. 18 yeah sorry so it was about two go At this point in time, now you can look back and say, whew, this didn't happen." Um, what were some of the things that you were sweating about that didn't happen? Sure, I, th-
1: I think honestly, the biggest thing that I was worried about was the not running the business. Or, you know, not enjoying it, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. but it turns out that I do really enjoy it. Actually, yeah, more than mm. I more than I kind of thought I would. So that's this made me think about what does what does my future role within the firm look like? Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to, one thing mm-hmm. I'm still working on, but trying to do is to just remain flexible and open and to not, you know, I have a tendency as a planner, mm-hmm. I do want to plan my entire life. So I'm trying to just be open to what comes and, you know, be willing to, pivot if I need to or make adjustments as it goes.
0: So um, you have three children at home, and I'm sure that they get all sorts of fun advice from mom, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Actually, we talk a lot about money. (laughs) Which is great. How old are your children? My youngest
1: is five. My middle child will be eight in early March, and then my oldest just turned 10.
0: So they're at that perfect age where... Money is, they're understanding it a little mm-hmm. bit. Even the five-year-old, mm-hmm. they're understanding it a little bit. What are some of the lessons that you're trying to incorporate in their lives right now? Sure.
1: So the older two get a small allowance and that's not tied to, in our household, we don't tie that to specific chores. So they have chores mm-hmm. that they we expect them to do because they're part of the family. Mm-hmm. And the allowance is really mm-hmm. more of a tool to learn how to manage and spend money, one thing we've been trying to do is uh, and give them some expectations for how the allowance will be spent without controlling it. So specifically, right now, what mm-hmm. they do is every time we go to a birthday party, they contribute a small amount to the gift. Nice, and then that way, it's you know, there's some purpose to the allowance besides candy and Nerf guns. <laughs> And those kind of things, but at the same time, I try not, I try to, you know, not get too involved in what they spend their money on, because the whole purpose Mm -hmm. is to make mistakes now, versus and later on. And my our intention is that as they get older, they'll be responsible for more and more things. So, like for example, my oldest this year, we told him that we were going to pay X amount of dollars towards his shoes. Anything above that, he was welcome to spend with his own money. And mm-hmm. so of course he really didn't spend that much more. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, like,
0: yeah. Right. They, they
1: start to they yeah. start to look at exactly. it. Differently, so they? I read a good book and I, I'm afraid I can't remember what the name is, but it was talking about how, um, over time you can turn over more and more of their child spending to them so that by the time they go mm-hmm. to college, you know, if you give them. $200 or $400 or whatever your family decides you want to give them for spending money, if anything, then they it's, they have some sense of like, well, how do I make this last? So ultimately, you know, our vision is that when they, you know, when they're in high school, they'll be responsible for buying their clothes. They'll be responsible for buying their shoes mm-hmm. for, you know, sports fees and stuff like that. That means that we'll have to give them enough money to do that. Like this still gonna needs to be the same amount of money. But they are; they will ultimately be responsible, with increasing responsibility as they get older, for those spending decisions. So they'll pick and choose.
0: They'll pick and choose,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And on that same note, though, getting back to the control means that if there's anything that I insist that they have or do, I'm still going to have to con- remain in charge of that spending mm-hmm. because it's I cannot going to give them money and then tell them that they have to spend it on a coat. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So trying to strike a balance of independence and responsibility.
0: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like uh, your dad was very informed very, a big, very, a very big part in forming your vineyard with some of the things that you l- heard and later realized was an accurate recommendation. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to do the same thing with your kids and have them be responsible spenders by the time that they're earning their own, whether it's a part-time job and, you know, high school or college or whether it's their very first quote unquote real job when they get out of, out of high school or college. So, um, that's a, that's a really big deal. And I talk a lot about, um, the nutrients that our roots need, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the fact that when we're thinking about a vineyard, the vineyard, um, Mm -hmm. needs various nutrients in order to develop the fruit that we have. And so, the things that you're doing right now are really providing a ton of nutrients to their future knowledge and life. And they will be so much further ahead when, when it comes time. Right. So do they talk to their friends at all about it? Do you ever hear them carrying on conversations about their, you know, with their friends about any of that?
1: We hear some conversations about, Oh, so-and-so spent all their Christmas money on X, Y, Z. Not as much, you know, I don't, I think, a lot of parents are not sure how and when to start allowance and that we have probably started a little earlier than many other parents have. Um, But that was on purpose. That was a conscious decision on our part. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, kids are definitely aware of money. Do you know what I mean? And and so I think sometimes as adults, we think like, oh, well kids don't know, they don't know how much this is or, and they may not have a grasp of specifics, but Mm -hmm. Children are very astute observers. And so it's important to have those conversations, you know, as you see about things that are important to your family. It's not I don't think it's too early to start having conversations around savings or spending or what it looks like, you know, just because people have... A big house or a fancy car does not mean that they're in a strong financial position.
0: Yeah, there's there's definitely um, smoke sometimes in those mirrors when people see things. And I've had, you probably have in the course of your career, had a number of people say to you, "I just don't know what I'm doing wrong." I look at all my friends; they seem to be mm-hmm. going on vacations. They seem to have all these new vehicles, and you know, I just don't, I don't know what I'm, I'm doing wrong. And my response to them is usually, "You're probably not." right <laughs> we need to reframe this story okay. Yeah. Okay. you're actually in a good place can't yeah. speak to them <laughs> what, what you don't see is their bank accounts and their retirement right. accounts and their savings accounts so yeah it's um you know sometimes it, it, it that smoke in the mirror is is just that right so mm-hmm. um it's it's not a true story of what's actually going on behind closed doors and I know on your website, I loved one of the questions that you asked um, because it's very similar. I ask it a different way, but you asked the question, what's your big dream? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I recently did an interview with somebody then, and they asked me what the question, what questions I ask, you know, potentially new clients. And one of the questions I always ask is if money wasn't a barrier, what would you change in your mm-hmm. life? So very similar to what's your big dream. Tell us a little bit about why you chose that question as sort of your opening question. And and also, um, you know, what you've learned about asking that question and working with people, because I often think people are afraid to answer it. I would agree with
1: you. I think sometimes people are afraid that if they verbalize it, that then it becomes either a success or failure when sometimes things might change. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? We don't necessarily recognize the flexibility of our own dreams. So Mm -hmm. I, I have gone through some training with George Kinder and the life planning Institute. And so that is what has prompted that approach, you know, similar to yours. Like, well, what is it? What are we really getting at here? Like what do you ultimately want your life to look like? Because for some people, it might be, you know, having a, a early financial freedom, right? So being able to choose really early, say like in your 50s, what you're going to do for the rest of your life in terms of work, mm-hmm. or if you're not going to work. For other people, the dream is to, you know, build a, a big business that lasts beyond them, or to spend more time mm-hmm. with their family. What I found generally speaking is that when it comes down to it, what people crave is connection and creating time Mm -hmm. and, you know, conscious effort towards developing that connection, whether it's with their family or their partner or friends, you know, just depending on their life stage and, and situation. Um, But often uh, many of my clients Mm -hmm. are also want to see the world and travel. Um, so there's those two, those are two recurring themes we see over and over again.
0: Yeah, I, I'm glad that you shared that because I do think that often when people tell me and probably the same with you, what what they would change or what their big dream is. Uh, and, and I have not actually formally gone through the kinder program. I have read a ton of his work um, and probably will eventually mm-hmm. go through the official program. But one of the things that I often find is after I listen to them and take notes and they start kind of talking about what they would do, then I follow up with a question. Why do you think that money is a barrier to those things then? Hmm. And yeah. you know, then we start talking about the reasons why they think the barrier is there. And most of the time it's not, it's just rejigging what, how they're currently purposely spending their money. Mm -hmm. so it's um it's always very uh interesting to me and i love learning about what what other people dream about and what other people want to do in their lives and and then figuring out a way to shift their spending Mm -hmm. through their decision um you know so that those dreams can actually be recognized and that's that's the one thing when people say, what do you love about your job? you know, it's, it's helping people realize they've got the tools to make their dreams come true. They just need them. They just need to be shown that sometimes. And, and that's an amazing gift. I think that we have as financial planners. So I, I want to shift for just a second, because I know that there's a number of women out there listening and men as well. I just know that the ratings show that it's a lot of women. Um, And they work in male dominated Mm -hmm. fields and, um, and they, they fear going back to one of the comments that you had, they fear the idea of running a business and having a family. I, I don't, I don't have children. My business is my child, but I do I do work with a lot of women that, that have that. And I know that one of the things that they talk a lot about is the enormous flexibility. They work hard, they work a lot, but they have enormous flexibility to be able to go to their kids play or if their child is sick, you know, be home with them. Talk a little bit about what you've noticed in your switch from working for somebody to working for your clients instead.
1: I would encourage someone who is really thinking about it to seriously explore it. And I have found that, you know, I what you put out is what you get back in in some regards. So I think, you know, if you are what I have found, I'll say this. What I have found since going out on my own is that I, the clients that I'm attracting are people that i really enjoy working with so we're able to you know make a connection with people who who really drive well with we drive well together do you know what i mean like we're able to connect and have that and that makes the work Mm -hmm. extremely enjoyable and then i would say that yes you know i i do work a lot i do have a lot of flexibility i mean to this week you know my um my youngest had a stomach bug. So, um, it's been a little bit crazy, but because I have the flexibility to work from home and my husband has worked from home sometimes and we have a babysitter coming in. Do you know what I mean? We were able to piece it together. So it's definitely, it can definitely be stressful, but, mm-hmm. but it's doable. And that I, you know, one thing I think a lot of times, um, women in particular, sometimes resist is outsourcing specific functions. And whether that's in your home life or in your work life. And personally, mm-hmm. I think a lot of that comes down to societal expectations or what have we, you know, sometimes it feels like, okay, well, if I'm going to start my own business, then I have to be like a superwoman. woman. Like I can't put anything mm-hmm. on the household side down as I'm picking up this professional path. And that can lead to burnout really quickly. And so just giving people permission mm-hmm. to not do everything, you know, like, you don't have to clean your house. You don't have to do your laundry. You don't have to cook every single meal. Like mm-hmm. the world will continue to spin and your family will still be happy and healthy um, because I found that running my own business has given me a tremendous amount of joy and yes, it's given me a tremendous amount of stress, but but I feel like a more like richer, fuller version of myself. And I think that it's good for my kids to see that, to see what is possible.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, I think it's a great example. Yeah. I think it's a great example to set because your kids are seeing that though, that their societal norm, right. Is what they see, right? That Mm -hmm. that's, that's their reality, right? They see mom like doesn't, I mean, so for example, um, I'll use myself Mm because I don't, I don't want to presume what it's like in your household, Mm -hmm. but I don't cook. (laughs) Everybody knows that I don't cook. (laughs) Now you, on the other hand, I know have on your website that that's actually one of your little special secret talents. But but I do not, and and I think I was joking with you before we started recording that it. uh, My husband is is going to be gone for a couple of Mm -hmm. weeks, and I will eat soup. I will eat vegetables, Mm -hmm. most likely um, raw vegetables with some hummus that I buy. (laughs) Sabra being my favorite, and (laughs) and Mm -hmm. for dinner I might have like chicken or you know something that's very um, easy to make and um, usually it's maybe a roasted chicken that you can buy from like a Publix or something. So I I'm just not that's not a skill set that I have. And so when um, when my nephews were down last year they made some comment like Aunt Amy doesn't mm-hmm. cook and Uncle Brent said, yeah, that's not Aunt Amy's Aunt Amy's wheelhouse <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and to them, they, they were like oh, 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 okay you know, and mm-hmm. and then they started talking about well, daddy sometimes makes wings and daddy does this and daddy does you know, I think it's important that our kids see um, you know, the difference right. between it, it, yes. it, it can be talent based, it doesn't have to be gender based right, that's what I guess I'm getting at and so if you're showing your kids now um, the fact that you, you don't have to be at all. Somebody recently posted something on a Facebook page asking, and I don't remember which one it was, but asking if they ran their own business or went independent and then still had a balanced life. And I thought, boy, that's a really tough question because what's, what's the right. definition of balanced?
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I would say, I think I, I go for uh, integration. So,
0: (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I I think I have a balanced life. Now, if you asked me, do I work a lot? I do. But but I also, um, I take those moments where uh, it might be a Monday and I go do something that I wanted to do on that particular day. And I have the complete flexibility of my calendar of doing that or let's say Friday afternoons that I might, you know, scoot out at three o'clock and go have a glass of wine. You know, I mean, I have, I have that complete flexibility. So I feel like my life is balanced, but I probably work a good 55 hour work week in most cases. So, you know, for some that, that would seem insane. Um, and, and they might say, well, 35 is, is more balanced. Well, it depends on what you have going on in your life. And I just think that the point that you were bringing up about, you know, figuring out what it is that you're going to do and outsource and being absolutely okay with it. There is nothing wrong with it. And, um, you know, that's okay. Like that's acceptable, and we should, and and the other thing that I think we can do as women is we can say, good for you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> How did you do that? <laughs> because I want to know and
1: learn, teach me your ways. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you know, also we have to think about, well, well, what is, you know, if you're, so I like to cook, but I don't want to cook every night, you know, so mm-hmm. sometimes Chris cooks and, and sometimes he's, it's taken some really open conversations, but he has really helped as well with specific things. Like Mm -hmm. I work I like to work early in the morning. So Chris handles the entire entire going to school Mm -hmm. routine. He does lunches, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. and so but you know like if you let's say you really I had a client who it was very important to her that they have dinner together every night. And she was kind of killing herself on the weekends because she worked really long hours. Then she was spending all day Sunday meal prepping. And so she was very worn out. And so I asked her, well, Mm -hmm. what's, what's most important about eating together? Is it the actual act of preparing the food or is it the sitting down together and eating some, you know, eating a nice meal. And so Mm -hmm. one thing that she's, you know, tried out because you can try something and then decide you don't like it. So it's, you know, so that's your choice, Mm but um, is having meals. We have some chefs here in Richmond that will do essentially like home mini catering. Like they'll, they'll deliver completely prepared and portioned meals Mm -hmm. and you can get, you know, like traditional kind of comfort food meals you can get healthy meals you can get paleo meals like whatever you want you can find it and have that delivered and then you still because what for her was important was just that time for them to connect at the table that's what it was really about and you know so it's like okay well maybe i'll cook some nights or maybe i won't you know (laughs) but we're still going to sit down together Uh, or like you said like the rotisserie chicken that's one of my favorite. Favorite meals. I love rotisserie chickens.
0: <laughs> so um, so um, changing changing directions just a little bit. How did you come up with the name of your company, Spark? what What was the what was the meaning behind that?
1: I wanted to have the kind of conversations with my clients where it felt like a almost like a light bulb going off. You know, like have that mm. that illuminating moment. You know, that, as you said earlier, oh, you know what? I can do this. Like money is not the obstacle Mm -hmm. here. It's just maybe rearranging Mm -hmm. or making different choices or trying something different and, you know, having that feeling of like, okay, we can do this. And, you know, I think Mm -hmm. there's a certain kind of excitement that comes from making those, making those changes and, Mm -hmm. and getting real clear on where it is you want to be and how you're going to get there. And, you know, essentially aligning your money with your values and then living that,
0: I like it. I, I, cause I, um, I actually started out with the company name with my name in it. So it was originally Irvine Wealth Planning Strategy, still the LLC name, mm-hmm. but we rebranded last year to Rooted Planning Group because we wanted, you know, the, the things that we were telling our clients is that if your roots are strong, your branches are strong.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, That's great. you know, it, it's, a, it's, it's that meta it's there's metaphors within everything. And with, with, Mm-hmm. Um, with me, usually the metaphor is you around some kind of wine. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if the, if the roots are strong for the vines, then we're all good, right? right? We're all good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's good. Things are coming. It's good that, you know, right from the get go, you kind of had that mindset that you wanted it to be more than just you know your your name in there but to ev- evoke some emotion with your clients that just it tells me the kind of fringe planner that you are that it it's about a feeling when they go through the process with you mhm what um I'm, I'm curious throughout the course of your career has there been any books that you've read that have been the greatest impact you mentioned the, the book about that you read about Kids and money and stuff like that. But have there been any other books that you've read that have said, Boy, this is just so impactful on my vineyard? It's in my life is going to change because of one action I could step out of this, take out of this book.
1: Uh, I read a book, <laughs> this is super nerdy.
0: <laughs> I <We> love <laughs> super nerdy.
1: Um, it's from the FPA Press, but it's called Oversold and Underserved. And it's a financial planning guide. And it's essentially kind of laying out the premise of fiduciary financial planning for Mm -hmm. they're they're using it for the mass affluent. I I can see this, you know, for applying to a wide variety of individuals. Um, but it just goes through some of the, like really goes through how the firm runs their financial planning process and Mm -hmm. the things that they're talking about with their clients and, um, It it was a very good introduction that to planning as I shifted from a high net worth space into, um, you know, a fee-only financial planning firm that certainly served high net worth clients, but also served the mass affluent as well.
0: Okay. So that really leads into that set the tone for why you really felt the need to go into the fee-only fiduciary Financial planning world as well when you went independent, because there's a lot of other options that you could have chosen.
1: Right. Absolutely. But I am, um, I've definitely, I don't want to say I drank the Kool Aid because that makes it sound like illicit. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen the light. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and I will say, like, you know, where I was working, we I operated in a fiduciary environment, but we also coexisted with um, brokers. And you know, it's a very, it's just a different mindset. And, um, and definitely the fiduciary fee only way of financial planning, I firmly believe is the best way to deliver financial
0: planning. Yeah, that, that, um, I, I actually grew up when I say that, because I've been doing this since 1994 in a, in the financial services profession. And, and my very first job was in the trust, in a trust department. So I was very, I feel I was very fortunate because that's, that's all I knew. Like that's what I grew up with. I was a fiduciary. Right. And, and I went from doing that to working in a union benefit office, which was also a fiduciary to working for another trust company, which was a fiduciary. So when I took a job in a, um, in a credit union that had a broker dealer, I never, I never had to get my license, like my seven or my 65 or anything. Cause I always worked in that trust environment. So I had to go out and get all these licenses uh, for that job. And I remember about two years in, I'm like, you people are crazy. Like, I don't mean it. Like, I don't mean it negatively or anything like that. It was the jargon. Like it wasn't, it wasn't the actions and and nobody that I know of did anything wrong. But I would go to these conferences and I I, I just felt like this foreign obstacle in these conferences because they were talking about gross domestic commission um, or gross, gross, GDC, whatever that stands for. So they were talking about all of this stuff and like, what's your asset under management figure. And I'm like, not, not talking about like the total assets management, but like how much, what do you charge for that? And what's the revenue you produce off of that? And, and what are your brokerage fees? I look around, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I feel like such an idiot. Cause at that point in time, I had been in the profession a good like 15 years and I didn't, just didn't know all these terms. And within like three more years, I'm like, I'm out of here. I got to go back into that. I, I just, I have to go back into the world, um, where I'm doing like full fledged financial planning. And, you know, I, I feel like my CFP matches up with the licenses that I carry and hold. And it was just very different. And, um, your comments about the FPA book really drive home why you chose to, to, to go back into that or go into when you started your own firm to go into that direction, um, of, of starting the firm that way, becoming an RIA instead of, uh, instead of becoming like a hybrid or something. Yeah. So I, I know that we are um, winding down, but I do want to just uh, ask you a couple more questions. And then uh, I might always my last question, but, you know, many, many vineyards have challenges that like our lives have challenges um, that have obstacles. Are there any obstacles that stood in front of you when you decided to open the business or, or that you feel like you're facing right now? Yes <laughs> some of it has
1: been dealing with what I would describe as maybe a mindset issue you know i I you know would someone hire me do you know what I mean like i have I have fifteen years of financial planning experience like you know I you know it it's just it seems kind of silly like when you say it out loud, but certainly that you know I think that's a natural fear when you're launching a business you're putting yourself out there and um for, you know, people to basically decide if they want to work with you or not. And so that was definitely something that I was was concerned about. And I think that I was a little, I was a little maybe naive or optimistic in terms of my pricing when I first launched. And in some regards, and perhaps a little concerned um, in around attracting enough clients and and what did you know what does that really mean and so now I'm I still kind of go back and forth around my pricing and uh, how I want to structure the firm going forward so that's you know one thing that I'd you know spend some time thinking about is identifying what am I going to be how you know how am I going to be um Pricing my services, like making sure that I'm adequately valuing my services, I think I was doing a lot of. I don't want to say way too much work, but <laughs> I was doing a lot of work for not not um, an appropriate price.
0: That imposter syndrome is common, and even 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 successful business owners <clears throat> have that problem sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you do get to a point where, um, your schedule dictates it and you become much more confident in your pricing because you have to, like your schedule tells you that you have to, you know, you either, you either have to freeze it, you know, and say, I'm done. Like I can't bring on anymore. Or you have to say, wow, you know, my schedule is telling me something like that. That's something for me personally that, um, I had a, a coach this past year. I still have her. Um, and one of the things that she said to me, because I can struggle with imposter syndrome very easily, one of the things that she said to me is, um, well, when we've needed to reschedule you, it's generally three weeks out before you know we can get me back on the calendar. So what that said to her was that I was in enough demand that I should not feel that way. And she, you know, what she doesn't say, she doesn't say and be cocky. She's just saying that be aware that your schedule is telling you something and think about what it's telling you and then go from there. And when I did that, it was, it was an eye opener to me personally and, um, it gave me a sense of confidence. I, you know, I still, I I love what I do and I want to make sure I do it for a lot of people as I'm sure you do as well, but it definitely, um, it definitely did tell a story. And I, I think around, around the pricing conversation, just pay it, that my piece of advice to you is When that obstacle of scheduling starts to get in the way, listen to the story it's telling you. That's great advice. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just passing it along. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, that's that's a good that's good
1: because adv update season. So
0: (laughs) yes, it is. Yes, I now is the time I had my submitted January second. (laughs) Uh, In my final question um, it's really around, uh, a, the end and I wouldn't say the end, I shouldn't use the end, but it's around the idea of, um, a lot of vineyards and a lot of winemakers that I know and, and um, farmers that I know, they, they test the crop sometimes before they will change out a mm-hmm. portion of their vineyard. Right. So the question I always ask Somebody and you don't know that something is successful until you've tested it. So, for example, if a vineyard is trying to figure out, do I add Merlot to my vineyard because maybe it's not a grape I've ever planted? So, do I add Merlot to the vineyard? Well, they might take a small patch of their vineyard and, and plant the Merlot vine, let it grow for a couple of years, and see what kind of production and flavor that that. Um type of wine has in that area, because what are the influences around it? You know, what gives it the the flavor and the soil and the air and the ground? They don't completely rip out all the vineyards (laughs) and replace it with (laughs) all Merlot until they know that that works. Right. So, so a lot of times when I'm talking to people, I'll say, you know, have you ever tested something and found that to be super successful? And so, then it's made you look at things differently and and determine wow that's success that gave me a feeling of success um, so the question is leading all of that leading up to it what would you define as success
1: i am currently defining success as luckily <laughs> <Lovely. laughs> yes. as Um, building. So I really want to support the fiduciary fee-only financial planning profession as well um, as consumers. And I I think those are closely tied together. So I, you know, I serve on the NAPA South region board, but I also am, Mm -hmm. my vision for my firm is to grow a self-sustaining firm, something that lives beyond me and Mm -hmm. that ideally keeps financial planning, um, reasonably accessible to the mass mm-hmm. affluent, you know, so it's like striking this balance of growth and providing career opportunities for, you know, in, individuals who are, you know, maybe trying to get into financial planning, but they're only being offered life insurance sales jobs. You know what I mean? Like that's not the same thing as financial planning, and so it's hard to get people in, especially from underrepresented populations like women and people of color and LGBTQ plus, when there are mm-hmm. literally very few opportunities as a young person to learn about this. So mm-hmm. my goal is to create a firm where you know we have opportunities for people to come and practice be only fiduciary financial planning and to um, be able to serve people who desire that. And without it, you know, sometimes it feels like you have to have a million dollars to get a financial planner. But then how do you get a million dollars without a financial planner? (laughs) Right. Right, so, exactly, so, but right, then, right, you know, right, I, exactly I understand sense. as I've been running a business that there are very real costs to running a business. And so, like, while you think you might be able to, you know, scale a firm at a lower price point, for me, that wasn't really possible. So I've had to raise my prices. So I've struggled with that, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to keep it mm-hmm. reasonably accessible, being paid for the value I'm providing, and being able to grow a firm. So, <laughs> so for me, my, in my ideal world, you know, that's what I, I have a firm. I would describe a mid-sized firm for financial planning, you know, fee only, which would probably be quite small by many um, financial services standards. But something where we can provide really those deep, meaningful relationships with people to serve as a trusted counselor. You know, that when something happens, you call. Um, Those are the kind of relationships I enjoy having with my clients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's, I I just, Mm -hmm. I always, I feel so honored to serve in this role. And um, it's, it's really been a joy.
0: Well, I think that's a lovely definition of success. And someday you and I should chat offline about my big dream in this profession, because I have a huge one and it has to do with forming a residency program that people get paid for just like doctors.
1: Oh, that so, sounds good. Yeah. I love that.
0: Yeah. If money wasn't a barrier, I would. Yeah, I would have a financial planning practice that has a residency program that pays just like a doctor who is residency mm-hmm. gets paid. They do the real work, they mm-hmm. get experience, and they're from all different backgrounds, all different cultures, mm-hmm. and they look and feel like the US looks and feels. And mm-hmm. I am taking baby steps doing something I can every day to try to make that dream come true at some point in time. But yep, we should talk offline because that is my big dream is to be able to provide financial planning to everybody who wants financial planning. And that includes those that are in low income situations that want to get out of low income situations Mm -hmm. and figure out a way to do that. So We should definitely brainstorm about that in the future. Who knows where that will go? I would love that. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. That sounds great. Lauren, thank you so much for being on the show today, for sharing your journey, for sharing your success and for your tips around raising smart money kids and why you started your business. We've really enjoyed this time together and I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me on, Amy. I really enjoyed my time with you as well.